Hello, Laura Bailey here. Welcome back to Creative Health Podcast. Just to pre-warn you, the discussion in this episode is about alcoholism and addiction. Please check the show notes for details. Alexia Gazzi is an interior designer, self-taught artist, macrame maker, crafter and aspiring art therapist. She runs a small creative business teaching macrame as a form of mindfulness for well-being. Art of the Heart emerged from her unquenchable thirst for acquiring new crafting skills and exploring innovative avenues for self-expression. Her journey into the realm of macrame commenced in 2016, a pivotal moment in her life coming just two years after embarking on a journey of sobriety. With newfound time at her disposal and a restless mind yearning for creative outlets, she decided to dedicate a year to learning a different craft each month. Macrame was one of these pursuits. The tactile nature of working with fibre resonated with her deeply, offering a sense of natural flow as she intricately created knots and let her creativity take the reins. These immersive experiences in mastering diverse crafts not only opened up new pathways for her self-expression, but also introduced her to the concept of making or mindfulness. This is the first time that Alexia has talked about her journey to sobriety outside of a formal support setting. She was so generous in sharing her experience. This is Alexia's story. Hi, Alexia. Welcome to Creative Health Podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. I'm very, very excited. I'm really excited that you're here as well. And we've got a lot of things to talk about. And this is a really inspiring journey that you're going to take us through and tell our listeners about. So I'm going to get on to some questions, if that's okay with you. So we're going to talk about your very personal health and well-being story with creativity, which supported your journey from alcoholism to sobriety, which I'm so grateful for you talking about and I think is going to be really inspiring for other people. And this is about your personal journey, but it also intertwines with your professional life as well. But let's go back to when you were younger, because I know that you are Greek, but you are living in Kent in the UK. So tell us a little bit about your life in Greece. What was your childhood like and what brought you to the UK? Well, actually, my childhood was in Bahrain. I am Greek, but I grew up in Bahrain, um, which is why my English is good, because I went to an English school from here. I've I've always gone to an English school. Um, So I I lived there for nine years, and then I moved to Greece, where I went to an international school. And then from there, I moved to London, and I've lived in the UK for about 15 years or something. Uh. But I've always had English education, and I think in English, so... My English, my my written English is better than my Greek. Uh, I, it is my Greek. Greek is my mother tongue, but I think I think in English more. <laughs> I think I dream in both. But oh, yeah, that's so interesting. I never really thought about that, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it's like 
being bilingual but in thought and in dreams <laughs> as well yeah um yeah I mean when we lived in Bahrain obviously me and my sister and I because being sisters we always had that secret language so we would speak Greek but then when we moved to Greece we speak English because not many people spoke English there so we always had a language that we could but for the majority we we alternate so we'll speak half and half when we're talking which sounds very odd to people speaking one mm. language or the other ah oh. Okay, and so when you were growing up, did you have a creative streak in you then, or is that something you developed later as an adult? No, I think um, I always I always loved to draw, and I think I discovered at a young age I, that I could um, I could copy. So like I could, I think I I would copy. Is it comics? So like I would draw mm. the characters from comic books and stuff. Um, but I was very good academic wise. So I was good at maths and physics. So when it, when it, when I got to my O levels, even younger, I think the school didn't um, allow me to take art, even though I was so I was really really dying to take art because the choices were either chemistry or art, and you were only because I was good at physics and maths and I was good at the sciences. They were like, oh, what well, you you can't take physics, maths, and art. What are you gonna be? And so mm-hmm. I had to take chemistry. So then I, I just, I remember I was begging them. I was like, well, I've got a free period. Can I just do some art in my free period, please? And they wouldn't let me. I remember I'd go in my free period and just sit with my friend who did take art. And I would just like watch them doing oil paintings. And so forever I was like really great. I just wanted to paint, you know, I didn't, I, did, I never tried it, but I just really wanted to. So even with choosing my direction in uni, I was constantly kind of being directed because of, because my dad was an engineer. I know my my parents wanted me to be either a lawyer or a doctor, you know, <laughs> the usual. Mm-hmm. And then so I was I kind of went. I I really looked up to my dad. Um, he was a civil engineer, so I wanted to be what he was. And I got into UCL for civil engineering, but he didn't want his daughter to be an engineer because he thought I wouldn't be able to get work and he didn't think it was a profession for women he said oh you know if you're on site the men will look up your skirt (laughs) I know (laughs) so he really really discouraged me um and then even then I took a maths uh, I I took a physical sciences degree uh which was all sciences again and I, I think it was in my last year I discovered I could take a module in art and it was the only course I attended the whole year. And it was the only thing I loved going to. <laughs> and then even finishing uni, I, I was, I felt lost. I constantly felt lost. I think because I wasn't, I don't want to say allowed, but, or maybe because I wasn't encouraged to follow who I was, I think I always felt lost, you know, mm. and I knew what I didn't want to do, but I, I thought I didn't know what I wanted, which, but I did. I, I wanted to be an architect. My dad hated architects, so I didn't do that either. And, um, yeah, I think it wasn't until later on when I was around 27 and I felt really ill. I had a, I had a lump in my lungs and they didn't realize till I had pneumonia three times. And, um, I, and the third time they realized that the shadowing was in the same place. They discovered the lump. And I think it was after a few surgeries and hospitalizations where I just lay there in recovery and I was just like, what am I doing with my life? You know, I know what I want. And by that point, I think I started realizing that I love art. I love architecture. And that's when I went back to uni to study interior design. And I became an interior designer. (laughs) I thought it was the next best thing, combine them both. 
Yeah, gosh, I mean, there's a lot we could unpick about that. And I don't (laughs) want to like unpick everything that, you know, that you tell me. But I think that that is quite common, actually, you know, a lot of parents of a certain generation have this feeling or this belief that taking art was a waste of time and you got to get a proper job and all of those things which you know as we know is you know it's not true art is a proper job and there are many (laughs) jobs that require creativity and in fact you know science and engineering requires creativity and creative thinking Mm. but interesting that you it sounds like you there was just this innate feeling in you even when you were younger that you wanted to do something creative but but you also wanted to please your parents and so you made those choices but then there was just that moment you know when you've been unwell in hospital where you just thought actually I'm gonna pursue yeah it was was a dark time and uh, I mean in that time as well so with the addiction and I know you wouldn't go into that but if you imagine I was being hospitalized for a lung issue and I would I remember they released me I just recovered from pneumonia like I was hospitalized and they let me out for a week with the intention of me going back in for my lung surgery and I spent that whole week drinking and smoking which (laughs) which looking back I, I understand sounds insane but I remember at the time I just couldn't cope. I wasn't coping with the hospitals. Mm. I felt I was too young to be going through all of that. I was like, why me? You know, it was very like victim. Mm. And it was just my only way. I just wanted to numb at the time. And yeah, so I I mean, I think it's crazy, but that's that's what that's how I coped with it. And yeah, I, it was very, very dark time. But yeah, like you say, like I I do remember that moment where I just thought, I think I just had a moment of, not thinking that I might die, although that, you know, there was, there was a, after all these surgeries, there was a period where they were, they thought I had cancer. And so they were like, I remember it was like an out of body moment where they were like scanning my body or something. And it felt like it wasn't my body. It was a very weird moment, Mm. but I wasn't very in touch with what was happening to me. And, um, and I do remember this when I had that realization that, you know, I, because for a long time I thought that I didn't know what I wanted. And I remember in that moment I thought, I do know what I want. It's just I'm not doing it because I was afraid of displeasing my parents mm. and, you know, other people. Mm. So that's when, yeah. But, yeah, even the people pleasing has definitely been a journey in itself. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I mean, first of all, I'm sorry. I am really sorry to hear that you had to go through all that. That sounds really awful. And at such a young age. But even in those dark times, you had this clarity, you found this clarity of like, actually, I need to stop people pleasing. Although you probably didn't think of it in those terms in those. Mm, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, but 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 that's you know. But you made that decision. Actually, I need to pursue what's going to make me happy and what's going to fulfill me, which is incredible. Do you feel like, or do you you know, when you look back, is that the point at which alcohol and addiction started to become a problem? No, it was earlier. Alcohol was a problem from the right from the beginning. It, and, and that's how looking back and with 
with being through recovery and having been to meetings, I can, I now know that it was always a problem. And it was a problem from the first moment I had my first sip. And I think the fact that I remember my first sip Mm. and how I felt is an indication that I am an alcoholic because normal people don't remember that first sip like a most treasured moment. And I think any addict will forever chase that first moment of that first taste of that euphoric feeling Mm. because that's what we forever crave and that's why we can't stop as well. So no, from my first, I didn't, I was quite a late bloomer and I, my first drink, my first sip was off my boyfriend's at the time drink. And I remember it was a Bacardi Coke and I literally had one sip and it felt like it was like this golden drop that just warmed me up inside, you know? And I remembered it. And then I remember second time I drank with him, I think we shared a bottle of vodka and I threw up everywhere. So it was right from the beginning it was problematic it wasn't normal it you know I never had a glass of wine and stopped mm. you know so yeah it was always a problem it just with the years I would drink more and with over the years it just became it became more of a problem and I think also what happens is when you're young it's kind of justifiable that you you know you go out you get drunk you do silly things because you're 18 because you're 19 when you're 32 and you're still doing it and you're hanging out with 18-year-olds and 25-year-olds, you're kind of starting to realize that there's something wrong, hopefully, because <laughs> there's a lot of denial around addiction. Yeah. So it, that, at that point, then you started to understand that you had a problem. And so what kind of help did you seek? Initially? No, I didn't. Um, you mean when I was ill? I didn't. I don't think I at that point when I was 27 I just thought I was wild and that I was having fun. I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't seek help till I was 33. 30 right. I was living in London and I think for from 32 to 33 in that last year that's when it was going downhill. I think generally for most of my life I did suffer with depression or what I thought was mm. depression. And I think around 28, 29, I'd seen a therapist and I remember her saying to me, unless you stop drinking, I can't tell you if you are clinically depressed or, you know, if, if it is the drink. Thankfully, I had, I had been honest with her and told her that I was drinking, which again is quite rare for alcoholics because we, we are, more often most often in denial about it and I think she was very clever in how she addressed my issue because she she said I was um I I, I abused alcohol so I was comfortable with that term I think had she Mm -hmm. called me an alcoholic I would have probably not continued Um, and I did stop drinking with her I did CBT at the time and I stopped for six months Mm -hmm. and, and I did feel great but then I'd moved to London and at that time I was trying to make it as an interior designer, but I had to work in bars to make a living. And uh, there was a period as well where I was like working for free as a designer. So I was working uh, as a designer in the morning and in a bar in the evenings. So the drinking did get quite heavy. And I think I started because I would binge drink. I never, I wasn't a daily drinker. I was a binge drinker mm-hmm. and I would start getting like on my hangovers, I would get suicidal thoughts. And I think that's where I started realizing that there was a problem and just 
started becoming a bit afraid of because I would black out. So when I I would binge drink and when I drank, I had memory loss. I I didn't know what I did, what I said, where I went, nothing. So one of my worries was like that I would harm myself in blackout because I had no control over anything. And a, and a wow. close friend who was a therapist at the time, she had said, have you thought of, you know, seeking help? Have you thought of going to an AA meeting? Or I didn't know what it was. I don't fully remember, but I did go to a meeting. I didn't really relate. <laughs> and it took me about a year to go back. And by that point, I started realizing that I couldn't stop drinking. And I think that's when I, because by that point, I had I had tried everything that I could think of to either control my, like I remember my mom often would be like, why don't you just have one glass or two glasses, just, mm. just stop at two glasses. And and I would say, I can't. And, and she couldn't understand. And I said, I, I can't, like. And I couldn't. It was very, very difficult. I remember, like, I vividly remember the one time I went into a bar to have one beer and how difficult it was that I gave up. I just left the beer and left. Because if I if I didn't drink how I wanted to drink, I felt like there was no point in drinking. Mm. I remember towards the end, I, I I came to the realization that, like, every, and it was the same cycle as well. So, like, because I was binge, like, I would binge on the weekend and then by... Monday, I'd be like, I'm never drinking again. I swear. Like I had in my diary, I had so many new year resolutions of I'm never drinking again. I'm going to quit smoking January 1st. And it would, it just, it, I never would. I never would. I remember that I would boast about the one time that I quit drinking for two weeks. And it was really a lie because I had had mm. two glasses of wine in between, which for some reason I didn't count as alcohol. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy, but I think I, I, my last drink, I was working at the bar and I'd said that I wasn't going to drink. And I remember before I blacked out, I looked down and I was holding a bottle of wine and the thought ran through my head that I just can't, I, I cannot stop. I cannot describe to you why, but it just, I just couldn't. And mm -hmm. I think by that point I was completely broken emotionally, mentally. And I think this time when I went to AA, I actually started listening, started listening yeah. to the similarities as they advise. And I think, you know, slowly, slowly, and I think my, my world was slowly falling apart, even though like on, I was a functioning alcoholic, as they say, like I had the job, I had the house, I had the part the boyfriend, you know, like on the outside, it seemed all right. But on the inside, I knew that I was falling apart. I couldn't make a phone call. I would isolate, you know, I was just falling apart. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I went, I was still in denial. I wouldn't, at the time, if you asked me, I wouldn't have said to you I was an alcoholic. So I still, I, and I think it was more also lack of education. I didn't know what an alcoholic was. For me, an alcoholic is, you know, this old drunk man on a park bench who's mm -hmm. homeless and he's just drinking, you know, from day, all day long, you know? Yeah. And it isn't, you know, it, it isn't that. Like, and even today, sometimes, you know, if I meet people, I mean, I don't tell everyone, but, if they do, if I do happen to disclose that I'm in recovery, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Sometimes people don't believe me because I don't fit the image of what an alcoholic looks like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I can totally understand that. I think certainly when I was younger, I, I would have had the same kind of vision of, yeah, some drunk on a park bench <laughs> yeah. bottle hanging out, you know, in a paper bag kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
but you know addiction is is really common and it can happen to absolutely anybody from any background in any circumstances I mean sure I think you know there are circumstances where or in certain groups of people where it's maybe more common but it can happen to anyone and you know it can happen for all sorts of different reasons can't it You went to AA and eventually it started mm-hmm. to help you. Do you think that, because I want to get on to, obviously this being Creative Health yeah. Podcast, um, where the creativity comes into your recovery and how you got into that, what was the trigger for that? But I'm wondering if you needed to to go to the AA meetings and to kind of get to a certain level of acceptance and sobriety before the creativity came in and kind of then you know helped you to yeah, fly. Yeah 100% I mean in the beginning it's just about and it literally is like I don't know if if you know like one of the phrases that they say is you know just for today and what it means is just stay sober for today and and you literally just have to take it a day at a time and the truth is that, I mean, I apply this to anything now. Like, I think what they've, they've done is very clever because they break it down because I think the thought of quitting drink forever was very daunting. And for, for most of us, you can't envision a life without drinking. It, you just find it impossible. But I think if you ask any alcoholic, can you just stop for today or can you stop for the next hour? They will say, yeah, I can. And so when you break it down, all you have to do is get to bed tonight without a drink. And then slowly the days start adding up. And so, yeah, yeah, in the beginning, it was literally just about, you know, just just get to bed, you know, stay sober each day, just stay sober. And it was my time at the time was a lot of meetings because, I mean, to be honest, most of my friends were not friends. (laughs) They're probably people I was drinking or using with and it wasn't so my circle had or people who didn't want to be associated with me anymore because I'd burnt a lot of bridges so I think at that time the only thing I had was my meetings so I would just go there and I would be of service so I I started slowly becoming useful again I started slowly making friends again and and it was just rebuilding I find AA is almost like the microcosmos of you rebuilding your life till you're able Mm -hmm. to then go back out into life. And then that's where you start, you get your job again, you you get a house again, you start making friends out there. And yeah, like in the beginning, most of my time was taken up with meetings because also like when you're not drinking, you, I remember like the weekends were just this odd time where normally I was either hungover or going out. And then I was just, you know, when you're sober, like obviously in the beginning, I think when you start doing your steps as well, you're very excited to be clear headed because you haven't experienced that in such a long time. So yeah, yeah, it did. It was about, I think I, my creative journey started more when I was almost two years. It was cause I think a year, maybe a year and a half, but I was at this job and there was um, one of my colleagues interior design job and she was, I think at the time it was Instagram was new and um, blogging. And she was, she come up with this idea of learning 12 crafts uh, a year. So like a craft a month. And 
I was just so fascinated, like, because she was just learning these weird crafts that I'd never heard about. And I don't know, she was doing like weaving and, you know, I was always artistic, but I, I my, my art, my art realm was more paints that that was it mm-hmm. like paints and and pencil and so like when I started seeing like these little things that she was doing I was just so fascinated and I remember one day she came in and she said oh I'm I'm learning macrame now and I said oh what is what's that and she said oh it's this uh, you know fiber technique and you you do knots and I was just so like I was so fascinated I was like well I said would you like to come and teach me one day and so she did. She came over. I remember she came over to my house and our house with Rob and uh, she she taught me. I I still have it. I, the first wall hanging I ever made, you know, and mm. I just loved it. I, did, I just loved the it, just being creative again. You know, it's almost like being sober. You have a, a new zest for life again. It's like you're reborn and everything is just so... I don't know, like new and you take it in and, you know, it was just, I think I I loved the idea of having something to do different on my weekend. So what I did is like each craft I was going to learn, I would find different ways of learning as well. Like, because that's the other thing I loved about, like that I love is learning so I'm even mm. at school. I loved school. I'm one of those people. I love to learn. You know, I love to read. I love to, I get obviously subjects that I like, but I get really passionate. So I remember I did weaving, for example, and, and I did, I took a Japanese weaving workshop and then I bought a weaving book. So I did my own little loom and it was just different ways. And I just loved it. Or some, for some of the crafts, I would, you know, use YouTube channels so different things, and I just found it interesting to just mix and match my how I would learn and my experience, and then also different things I would create. So yeah, that's that's how I got onto that, and it was just I think a, a lovely way of being present and just in the moment because I think what hap- part of being an addict is, and and while let's say I drank is. I drank to numb. I drank because my thoughts were overwhelming, you know. So I think with recovery, I learned meditation. I learned to be in the moment. You know, I learned not to worry about what's going to happen in 10 years because all you have is today. And I think with being creative in the moment was the perfect way for me to indulge in something that I was present and also like, my mind was my my creative mind was being used creatively rather than you know catastrophizing of yeah. or worrying about things that have not happened and what do you think it is about those creative crafts that keep you in the moment is it the is it physically doing something with your hands is it the focus of your mind on con- the concentration of you know, learning something that, you know, you you can't learn it unless you're concentrating on it. And if you're concentrating on it, then you're not, you know, wandering off and thinking about other more negative thoughts. What do you think it was about the crafts? And even now that that is, you know, is so good for supporting you and supporting your mind and, you know, supporting your mental health I definitely believe that it's to do with um learning because 
I think the part of engaging the mind in learning something new, but then coordinating mind with hands mm. to create, but then also the, the fact that you, you learn patience, you learn concentration, you're going to then have to put your own artistic flair. So there's your, mm. your creativity will be engaged and it's just, you're really present in that moment, you know? You, and, and I do think any, any new skill or craft, but still, even if you're like, I, I mean, I've, I've been doing macrame now for six years, but still like there's always room to learn more. And even mm -hmm. if I am doing a repetitive, because sometimes I'll do like a big wall hanging and it could be repetitive, I will try and be present. Again, obviously I've done a lot of meditation and I've practiced. So, you know, you get to a point where you can mm -hmm. be mindful and my mind will wander. And the reality is that these days with, I'm coming up to almost nine years of sobriety, my mind is not, it's well, not, you. thank you. It's not as noisy as it was back then, you know, like I can, mm -hmm. I can sleep now you know I, I couldn't sleep back then because I was just very anxious I was either very anxious or very depressed which I don't have these days I'm just so happy to hear that that's really Thank fantastic you. um and presumably also I guess the satisfaction of making something beautiful and when you can well that's what I was gonna say and you can sit back and look at it and go I did that and it's beautiful and other people think it's beautiful. That must also play into it. I mean, it. I recently taught a kids workshop and I think it's just so nice to see the pride and the, the, how you, the confidence that they build with just, like mm. you said, like the, I remember one little boy, he was holding up his little floral wreath and he was just so proud and he was just so happy that he had made it. And I think there's nothing more satisfying, especially when you think you can't. Because that's where you build your confidence, you know, and you, that's where you have to stick with it. There's this one lady who did a macrame water bottle workshop and she came a little bit hesitant. She said, I'm really not crafty at all. And, mm. you know, and I said, well, I said, you cannot." And she said, yeah, I can. And I said, well, because everyone cannot. You can't tell me you can't not. And she did. And she, she finished her water bottle. And at the end, she was literally jumping with joy. And it was just... Uh one of the nicest things to see because you know I, I I think that I believe you can learn anything and I look I believe that you can be good at anything you put your mind to and mm. it's just about persevering and having the patience to stick with it and mm. that's what it is and I think that is a huge part of being mindful as well and present you know that's an important thing to to recognize isn't it that it does take patience and it takes motivation and sometimes when you're not in a good place it's really hard to be motivated and to be patient and to keep going and and when we're trying to learn something new and it doesn't always go well and it doesn't you know the outcome isn't always what we wanted it to be I know this from my own when I used to go to ceramic classes, you know, and, and I think that I'd made this really lovely, you know, cup or something, and then it would crack in the kiln or the, you know, it just wouldn't look like <laughs> I thought it would look like. And it can be frustrating. It's a really brilliant thing for people to do, but I guess you have to be in the right headspace to do it, or you need to use it to get yourself in the right headspace as well. Because otherwise, I guess if you're, 
you know, if you keep trying to do something, whether it's macrame or knitting or, or and it keeps going wrong, that could become more frustrating for you and therefore not necessarily helping you. How do, how would you how did you deal with that? Or were you just brilliant at all of that to start? Well, <laughs> no, well, I think what I would say to that is it depends on your outlook because I think what does it mean it, it went wrong? Because what you didn't make a masterpiece because it went wrong, yeah. but you learn how to use the kiln, right? Or you've already learned how to make a pot. So it just maybe went wrong when you, you know, fired it up, but it didn't, you still learned. So yeah. it really, it depends like, what does it mean? It went, yeah, I've had, I've had, I, w- I did an art exhibition and I, I had this idea in my head and I tried to materialize it and it just didn't work out, but I learned what not to use. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it yeah. depends it dep- and also the other thing I, I that is very important and I always and no matter who I'm teaching I will always say we're all different and we all learn differently some people want to you know even the same class when I'm teaching some people are comfortable with me showing them to their face and they can their brain can coordinate and mirror my actions and do it mm. some people want to literally be behind me to see how my hands are moving yeah and other people want to read instructions, you know, everyone is so different. So I think if you've tried to learn something and it didn't work the first time, maybe you're not being taught in the right way. You know, maybe you need to watch a video or maybe you need to read a book or maybe you need someone to physically take your hands and show you. But I, I think it's all about mindset. And I think a lot of us are afraid of failing and a lot of mm. us strive for perfection. And I think that's where the problem is. I yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think sometimes perfectionism gets in the way, doesn't it? And I know that I have always struggled with perfectionism and I'm really trying to, like you said, shift my attitude towards what success or yeah. failure is and that actually if something doesn't go right the first time and you've got to unpick it all, you know, then that's just part of the learning process, isn't it? And, you know the you shouldn't look on that as a negative thing that actually is a positive thing and you know you yeah you just and try again just to be clear that is not um always how I saw it I definitely have had my moments of just feeling low or just wanting to give up especially with setting up my own business and trying to make it a business or I remember even with Instagram where you, you know, you, you just start this thing and and you end up having to be a video editor and then also like a dancer and performing and then speaking on screen. And so there, you know, and again, I would, sometimes I would, I would just sit there crying and think I'm a failure, but then, you know, I would look back and I'd think, well, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what a reel was, let alone to make them or get views. And then I, so sometimes I have to really check in with myself and think, you know, you, you didn't know anything and now you're, you know, you're, you're actually making your batch making reels, you know? So you, you have to like kind of give yourself credit where credit is due because sometimes we, we miss that entirely. And I think that's, again, it's how you choose to see things. I totally appreciate that. I mean, that's where I am at with this podcast. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, I've never made a podcast before. Well, I mean, I've done some interviews prior to this but you know I'm not a trained journalist yeah I'm not trained at interviewing I don't I've had to learn the technology equally with social media 
you know, it, I'm just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. how on earth do we do that? You know, I sound like a proper old lady who <laughs> doesn't know how to use socials. My kids would laugh at me. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it is, yeah, it's a good, it's a good lesson, isn't it? That, you know, everybody can do these things if they really want to, but it does take perseverance yeah. and patience. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, it depends. Yeah. What, what your goal is, but I think anything, the people that you would consider successful, they've probably been doing it for a very long time. Do you know what I mean? And they just didn't give up. And I think with the whole perfection thing, the one I, I remember that I am um, in one of my interior design jobs, there was this young man and he was an amazing, he was an amazing designer, but he was an amazing artist and he had architecture, uh, architecture training. And I remember that, that company you would have, I don't remember, I think it was like every Friday, um, each person who had a different talent would, dem- would like show their work or, and so he was showing his artwork and it was very perspective drawing, but like, it was so good. It was, I mean, and he would ink it straight away. And, and I remember it had, they had, um, we could ask questions at the end. And so my question to him was, you know, if you ink it straight away, what happens if you make a mistake? Mm. you know because it was it was so perfect it was all lines and you know and he and he just smiled and he looked at me and he said the mistake becomes the art and I and I remember at the time I just I was so baffled and I because in my head I was thinking you cannot have any mistakes it has to be perfect yeah but he was so just like fully embracing the mistake. And I think that's where it always stuck with me. And I think even to this day, sometimes I'll be making a macrame piece and I'll think it's wrong or something. But then mm-hmm. I'll have to say to myself, no one is going to see it. Only you know, you know. And and then I just let it be part of the artwork. And, yeah. you know, but it is letting go of that perfection 100%. So I want to get on to talk about your business, which you've referred to, but I wondered just before we do that, whether for anybody who is listening, who may be struggling with addiction themselves, whether that's alcohol or drugs or anything else, what would you say to them about taking up something creative in order to support their recovery what would be the advice that you give them my advice would be to seek help for the addiction first and foremost and there are many places to seek help so I I went to AA but there are so many different types of institutions that offer recovery Mm. so don't limit yourself in that sense if one again if one doesn't work for you go somewhere else and get the help that you need. And then I think what I would say is with time, as your head clears, you will slowly start to relearn yourself and mm-hmm. relove yourself. And I, I am confident and sure that you will start rediscovering what you like and don't like. and it will come to you. You know, I think the more you hang out with sober people, the more you attempt things sober in life, I'm sure things will be put in your path that will 
trigger some sort of, if you are a creative person, creativity, just like how I was with my colleague and she mentioned macrame, you know, Mm. I think things will come along and something will inspire you to take up some sort of art or craft or, you know, some sort of Mm. way that you will express yourself. Because I think the main thing is that you will be spent, you won't be spending your time getting drunk or high and your brain will be fully present and engaged and you will want to express, you know, yourself differently because emotions and feelings will be there. And it's just, if you can put them into a piece of art, a a piece of craft or, Mm. you know, a a poem, I don't know how, what your creative expression might be, you know, it might be writing, it might be sculpture or woodwork. I think whatever it is, you will discover it as long as you've got a sober, clear head, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did I answer the question? Yes, you absolutely did. And that sounds like really, really good advice. And I think also you've highlighted that, you know, there are so many different forms of creativity that somebody could engage with and they don't have to be good at painting and drawing no, you know, definitely and th- not. These sort of narrow view of maybe what creativity is, because there's a whole world of different things out there, and indeed, it might not even be creativity. But obviously, this is Creative Health Podcast. So that's what we're focusing on. But clearly, people could take up sport, being in nature, yeah. all sorts of yeah. other things. Yeah, as well. I mean, I again, it might come from places that you would never imagine. I know. Um, I have a friend who's uh, I've met on Instagram and. He, he comes from a family of bakers. I think he's, he's a baker and, mm. and you would not believe the artwork he creates with sourdough. It is just yeah. insane. He is yeah. a true artist, which I would have never imagined artwork with bread. Somehow he did. So I think whatever your calling is, you will, it, it will find you as long as you're yeah. sober and learning to love yourself and be with yourself. So I yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, so let's talk about your little business. It's called Art of the Heart. And you're teaching macrame in workshops, events and festivals and private parties and so on. And you, you told me before this interview that your art is also a way of connecting with other people, which you have struggled with at times. And we've, you know, we've, we've touched on that already in this interview so tell me about the business and what tell me more about what you offer and tell me about what you get out of it but also what you want other people to get out of it so out of the heart started it was in 2016 I was trying to think of a name for my blog for the crafts that I was going to learn I didn't know what it was going to be I didn't know that then that it would what it's mm-hmm. today, you know, I did, I had no idea. Um, and it was just literally like, I just felt like it was art from the heart, you know, it was, it was me creating art. And I just, for me, I felt like finally I was doing what I loved, you yeah. know, at the time I was working as a designer and I just, I really enjoyed the journey of learning. And then I think that, that colleague of mine who, taught me macrame she went on to build her own macrame business and she went on to teach and she's she's done amazing well and um you know I she again inspired me I thought oh because I remember as a kid I always loved teach um Mm. teaching 
I would, I would get my, even when I was like eight, I would line my sister and my friends up and I would put them, make them sit down like it's a classroom <laughs> and I'd teach them. And my mum would always laugh that I was a very strict <laughs> teacher as well. So I remember I started teaching a few workshops and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think just slowly, slowly, I just persevered. Again, it's been tough. Mm. You know, there's, there's been moments where I'll, I'll arrange workshops and there'll be one person who shows up or two and, or no one sometimes, but even, even with the two people, you know, I would, I, I would always say to myself, just show up, you know, that's all you have to do, just show up and just enjoy the moment. And I did. And more often than not, I just got so much out of it as much as they did. And it has been a journey for sure. And I don't know, I just really enjoy it. I think the the thing I enjoy the most is just seeing the people, everyone's faces mm. at the end when they're so proud with what they've made, you know, and it is quite simple because you're literally just giving them some rope and they're making a beautiful creation out of it. So I really, really enjoy and that. And is it explicit in your workshop, so the way that you sell it and market it, that it is about mindfulness and about yeah, well-being? Yeah, I do, I do mention that because I think it is important to – I think sometimes people struggle with – meditating and meditation Mm. as in they find it difficult to just sit still and do nothing so I think so what the way I offer it or present it rather is that it is a way of meditating of being mindful you don't have to just sit still it's just being in the moment with what you're learning and it is a form of meditating because again I think meditation you know it is really beneficial to you but again not everyone is able to do it in just one way and mm. I always say to people like you know some people prefer to use an app others prefer to use a video others just like listening to sound you might want to lie down you want want to sit down mm. so again one thing I always say to people are is you know don't give up just find the way that works for you and I, I always like saying that you know when you're making, when you're in the moment, it is one way of meditating. And yeah, no, I mean, again, it's not for everyone and not everyone finds it peaceful. I have had mm. moments where someone started crying <laughs> at a festival because she My. was just so frustrated that she couldn't, she was mm. there with her mom and her sister and her mom and her sister were, were doing fine and making their bag. And she was, she just couldn't, she just couldn't get the knot. You know, she just couldn't. And the thing is, I think she could. It's just that the more frustrated she was getting and the more anxious and worried, the more she was just not able to focus. So she broke down in tears. And, then, you know, I said, oh, you know, this isn't what this is promoting. But, again, it's about that perfectionism, isn't it? It's it's about that what are you saying to yourself in mm. that moment? Because that's what you should be observing. Like, what are you telling yourself that it, that is so intense that you're actually crying? Because no one else is saying anything else to you. Mm. You know, we're all saying, it's all right, let me show you. Yeah, but then we are our own harshest critics, aren't Exactly, we? yeah. You know, and I think everybody is like that. Uh, th- so just going back to the whole meditation, mindfulness thing, I can totally resonate with this because I remember... When I was about 18 and I went um, traveling to Australia 
and I, you know, met all these wonderful hippies and it was all, you know, everyone was kind of like into meditation and, you know, I mean, everybody's into lots of other things as well. But, um, yeah. and I just remember, I remember this guy saying to me, oh, you know, it, uh, as long as I don't mind noise, but as long as I'm in a room by myself, then I can meditate. And I just remember thinking, I, like, how do you do that? I just cannot switch my brain off, you know, and, and over sort of subsequent years, you know, I really tried to meditate and I just, I couldn't understand it. How do you just switch your brain off altogether? (laughs) And, but mindfulness wasn't really a word that people used back then. And it's only, I don't know, in the last, you know, however many years that Mm. this word mindfulness and being in the moment has become really common and widespread. And when I've read about it, initially I just thought oh okay and then that kind of took the pressure off of having to just completely switch your brain off you know because it's about being in the moment and kind of focusing on your breath or something else that you're doing and then if your mind wanders off you know you just bring it back again and you don't criticize yourself for that and I thought well okay I can probably do that I mean I you know I can't say that I actively practice mindfulness all the time but I do do it sometimes and and actually it's really helpful isn't it so I think this differentiation between kind of full-on meditation and whatever that is and mindfulness and just being in the moment is quite useful for people to understand that there's a difference there and that you know actually mindfulness don't you know it just just you just have to be relaxed with it and not you know give yourself a hard time if your brain starts yeah I mean again I think you know everyone's different but for the majority of the people who do attend the course especially like once they've learned the knot and then they'll go off and repeat the knot they will often say oh this is so relaxing oh this Mm. is so soothing so they will find I think it's I think it's the learning a new thing, but the repetitive motion, but then also being in a room with like-minded people who are learning. I think the combination of everything and the energy in the room and just the creativity, I think everything will contribute to you feeling more at ease and at peace. And obviously if you're enjoying yourself, I think, but yeah, I think, I think it takes the pressure off of trying to switch your brain off when, you know, it's, I think another, it's like you're saying, an alternative way of saying it is just turn your focus onto something else, whether it's your breathing, whether it's making something. Another amazing way is uh, sound meditation. Mm. So I, I think you just, again, have to find what your thing is. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, you touched on there's a kind of social element to to joining your classes or indeed, you know, any kind of class like this isn't there. It's, you know, really good for reducing social isolation, for making new friends, maybe for developing your confidence. You know, there's so many positive things really, isn't there, about taking up something creative. And I know that you've talked in the past that you, you know, in an ideal world, you'd like to be doing this full time, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like are the barriers to somebody like you, an artist like you being able to, you know, to work as a full time artist offering this kind of 
activity? I think my biggest barrier is probably myself. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think running this business is definitely been a journey in itself. It's a learning process. You have to see what works, what doesn't work, what you enjoy, Mm. what you don't enjoy. But I think my biggest struggle as an artist is that I am an artist. (laughs) And my, my, my brain doesn't think how am I going to make money? My brain thinks, Ooh, okay. I want to make this wall hanging, you know, it's, it doesn't. Yeah. And so I think when you're trying to make it a business, I, that's what I've struggled with. Like I remember my partner, he's, he's an estate agent and, and so he, his brain is make money. So he, he would say to me like, what sells? And I was like, yeah. what do you, what do you mean? And he's like, what do you not understand? And I was like, He's like, why are you making, because I, I would make candy canes for Christmas. And he's like, you know, are they the, your best selling point? And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I like, I, <laughs> I just make what I want to make because I'm feeling like, oh, I'll make a candy cane or, mm-hmm. you know, I get an idea for a wall hanging or, you know. So I think like even with the classes, it was, it's about, you know, I, again, I, I, I'll, I'll set them up and, you know, I'll, I'll explain what they are and I'm, I'm all ready to teach you and everything. There's a whole process of marketing behind that you have to go and get involved in. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't studied marketing. I'm not a PR or advertising. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think the struggle of running your own small business, um, is often that, yeah, you're wearing many hats and, and you have to, you have to learn so many different things and that can be hard. But again, I think you just learn and, and like with everything, if there are things that you're not that great at, just hire outside help and, and get yeah. the help. Ask for help, I think, is the advice yeah. I would give. Don't hesitate because, yeah, you're on your own, but you, you it's okay to ask for help and it's okay if you don't know everything, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Maybe a bit of business support, you know, or... A hundred percent, yeah like for small businesses and startups that kind of thing yeah it is difficult it's very difficult to earn a living as a full-time artist but it's not impossible and you know and if you really want to do it then there are ways to make it happen so I'm assuming though that you some of your time is you're still a still an interior designer and you're running your macrame business and you're still doing um your macrame at home for yourself I can see in the background (laughs) a lot of beautiful things and I have seen your work because I've been present at some of your workshops in Ebsleet yeah they are really beautiful thank you you make bags and earrings and wall hangings and lots of other things I feel like I should take up macrame now. <laughs> yeah. I think you might have tried to start teaching me once, but then I had to kind of wander off and I do think, something yeah. else at an event. <laughs> yeah, I remember now, the plant hanger one, yeah. Yes, yeah, I think so. But, yeah, I think maybe maybe that's something that I should have a go at as well. <laughs> well, your story is so inspiring, Alexia, and I'm really grateful for your honesty it's really brave thing to to talk about some of the challenges that you've had and how you've overcome them but I do think that it would be really inspiring for other people who might be struggling to hear your story and we'll put um, in the show notes links to your 
um, Instagram and to your website and things like that. Thank but you. yeah, thank you so much for coming on Creative Health Podcast. Thank you. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I, I know how fascinated you are about creative health. And uh, I'm just so excited for your journey on this. And I was, I was very honored and flattered for you asking me to join you on this journey. So thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe, rate and review and share it with your friends and networks. Follow the show on Instagram at creativehealthpod and via the website creative-health.co.uk. This episode has been edited by Tom Double. Creative Health Podcast has been supported through Kent County Council's Arts Investment Fund.